For more information about our teaching and preaching ministry, you can find us online at cornerstoneorlando.org. The following sermon has been brought to you by Cornerstone Orlando, making disciples for the glory of God. In the title of our sermon, The Plague of Locusts, this is part two, Revelation chapter nine, verses one through 12. So we're continuing now our sequential exposition of the book of Revelation, and we're, uh, now we've been working through the third of seven literary cycles in the book, uh, the cycle of trumpets. At this point in our consideration of this cycle, the cycle of the, of the trumpets, four trumpets have now sounded. Those trumpets poured out upon the earth, and we're now considering the fifth trumpet, which is the first of three woes. Those woes poured out on uh, the earth dwellers themselves. Uh, To stir us us up by way of reminder, these are apocalyptic visions. And apocalyptic visions in the Bible are rich with uh, symbolism. Uh, In here, these visions, symbolic of the judgment of God poured out upon the earth, And that judgment of God poured out upon the earth during the time that um, extends between the first coming and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These symbols, these visions given to John rely heavily upon Old Testament images of God's judgment, Uh, particularly now images of those judgments poured out on Egypt during the time of Israel's exodus. The similarities in that, the similarities between Revelation and what we find in the Old Testament, all of those similarities are Intensely intentional. (laughs) They're intentional. Egypt and the Exodus, the exiles, those are typological. We live in our own Egypt. We live in our own Babylon, and these things were written upon, written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. Now, the first four trumpets, as we've said, have targeted the earth, the habitation of the wicked. The next three trumpets, the three intensified woes, target earth dwellers themselves. Verse four. Only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads are given to torment, given permission, given authority to torment only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Later we'll see they do not bear the mark of God on their foreheads because these are those who bear the mark of the beast there. They are not God's people. This is the seed of the serpent, if you will. This is a reference to unbelievers. And God's people during this time are graciously spared the tormenting sting of this locust-like horde of demons because God has sealed them. God is protecting them and preserving them as his own. God is pouring out judgment upon the wicked and God poured out his judgments upon Egypt typologically for two basic reasons. First, because the Egyptians themselves had exalted themselves against God's people. They persecuted God's people. And secondly, because of their pagan idolatry. And so as those judgments of God upon the Egyptians are typological or typological of judgments that would later be poured out by God and eventually an ultimate judgment that would be poured out by God, as those judgments are typological, we can expect that judgments in our day are poured out for the very same reasons. They're poured out in judgment upon the earth dwellers or in judgment upon the seed of the serpent because they exalt themselves against the people of God and because of their pagan idolatry. Those judgments poured out by God bring with them drought, famine, pestilence, the sword, death. And through those 
judgments, through that misery that God pours out upon the earth dwellers, God makes unbelieving earth dwellers to drink wormwood and gall. He makes them to drink the bitterness and misery of their idolatry and their rebellion. And that's what we're seeing in this cycle of trumpets. We're seeing these judgments poured out now directly upon earth dwellers where God is making them to drink the bitterness of their own judgment. As we've seen, uh, the first of these intensifying woes upon unbelievers during this age, these, this trumpet, this woe involves a fallen angel whom we have now identified as Satan himself. Satan himself has been cast down to the earth in the language of Revelation chapter 12, and he has come down with great wrath knowing that he has a short time. This fallen devil is given the key to the bottomless pit, and in verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit, And smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. You can imagine now. And again, rich in symbolism. The bottomless pit is open. Darkness, smoke envelops this world. It's a a picture of darkness enveloping this world system, enveloping those who dwell upon the earth. That darkness, symbolic, if you will, of ignorance. Symbolic, if you will, of false teaching and deceit. Wicked men retreat into the darkness to stay away from the light. Why? The Lord says because their deeds were evil. They loved darkness rather than the light. This darkness representing wickedness upon the earth. Their eyes are blinded. Their hearts are hardened. And God has shut their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they turn and he heal them. This is a judgment upon the earth. Verse 3, Then out of the smoke then, out of that darkness, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. In other words, a demonic torment is unleashed upon the earth. And in the language again of Revelation chapter 12, the people of God, having been dispersed after the martyrdom of Stephen, have since been persecuted by the seed of the serpent have been persecuted by this demonic horde. In the language of Revelation 12, Satan and his minions, Satan and his demons, have persecuted and pursued the offspring of the woman. But God has led her into the wilderness and nourished her, cherished her, cared for her, protected her for 1,260 days, times, time, and half a time. And all of that a reference to the first half of Daniel's 70th week. Again, a period that extends between the first coming and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, Luke describes those disciples who were scattered, uh, scattered to the, to, to the known corners of the earth. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So what's happening during this time? Satan and his demonic horde pursuing the seed of the woman, pursuing the offspring of the woman to persecute her. God caring for the woman, caring for his own people, protecting her for the time period that extends between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everywhere she goes, everywhere she goes in the wilderness, she's preaching the gospel. She's preaching the gospel. And what is God doing during this time? When his people are preaching the gospel, he's gathering together his elect from the four corners of the earth. And as the preserved and protected, nourished people of God preach the gospel of his son, in the language of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, at the very same time, the wrath of God is presently being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth of God in their unrighteousness. God is pouring out his judgments upon those who dwell on the earth. Those who do not have the mark of God or the seal of God upon their forehead. Well, tonight now, 
In part two of our consideration of this fifth trumpet, we're given a broader description of this demonic horde that is unleashed upon the earth from the bottomless pit. Verse seven. The shape of these locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Now, as we've seen, as we consider these verses together, The only way to understand the symbolism of John's vision here is in terms of Satan and his horde of fallen angels. We've narrowed down uh, the options that we have from scripture, and these are certainly not your run-of-the-mill crop-eating locusts, okay? Uh, This is obviously not a literal account. Uh, There is rich symbolism in their description. Uh, We're working through apocalyptic literature, and a characteristic of apocalyptic literature is its symbolism, okay? But symbolism, this is symbolism that's not rooted in the physical world. This locust plague isn't representing Roman armies. It's not representing the Nazis, and it's not representing Black Hawk helicopters, okay? This symbolism isn't rooted in the physical world. The, The symbolism that we're going to encounter in Uh, this revelation of Jesus Christ given to John is going to be rooted in the spiritual world, all right? And we're to see in this symbolism principalities and powers at work behind Roman armies, behind Nazis, do you see? We're to see not simply Roman armies and Nazis, or not simply behind Roman armies and Nazis, but we're to see behind the entire system of wickedness that operates within our current Babylon, and we're to see behind the curtain, as it were, at the demonic forces, the principalities and powers that govern that system, that drive that system. That's what we're to see in this symbolism. John is given a look, if you will, behind the veil of this world. John is given a look behind the curtain of this world system, of this Babylon in which we live, to see that which ultimately lies behind the curtain. And what he sees there, what he sees there in, in, in symbolism, in a vision that is just frankly difficult for John to describe, what he sees there are principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, the destroyer and his demon horde from hell. Behind the doctrines of demons are the demonic influencers themselves. And they probably don't have an Instagram account or a TikTok. <laughs> like influencers, many of them do to today, but they are driving uh, this world system. Uh, they are behind, in other words, brothers and sisters, we have to see um, the world as it really is. The world as it really is. And the world as it really is, is run by principalities and powers. It is under the sway of the wicked one. It is under the sway of, de- of this demonic horde. Our media, it's not run in righteousness by people who are righteous. Our governments, our politicians are not righteous people acting in righteousness and run and governed by righteous forces, forces. The institutions and establishments of this world are run by principalities in power under the sway of the wicked one. Behind the curtain, there are the demons who espouse their doctrines, okay? And what John is given a vision of now are the principalities and powers that lie behind that curtain. And in this present age, in this present age, 
As we live in this world, in this Babylon that is under the sway of the wicked one and in this demonic horde, you are either, you are either sealed on your forehead by God and you belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ, serving him as kings and priests, as evangelists in the, in, as lights in a dark place, or you are an object of his wrath and you are the prey of every foul and disgusting spirit who seeks to torment and ultimately to destroy you. That's what is going on. That's the reality of things. That's things as they truly are. There is no middle ground. As an object of his wrath, as the prey of these foul spirits, you are susceptible to darkness, susceptible to deception. If you don't have the seal of God on your forehead, if you've not turned from sin to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are tossed to and fro by winds of deceptive doctrines under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, and you are of your father the devil. Rubbed, as we saw in verse 5, tormented, scraped against the proving stone, rubbed with the torment of affliction, and proven to be a liar and a cheat, proven to be an idolater and a rebel. You're in one realm or another. Do you see? One realm or another. That's interesting. It's interesting to think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul describes the end result of church discipline in those very terms. You think about that, right? Paul says of the sinner, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What's taking place in that final step, if you will, of church discipline? The sinner is being put out of the church. In essence, it's a picture, if you will, of turning that one over to another realm. He is placed out from under the protection of the church, if you will, the protection of God, the protection of his people, that overflow of righteousness that takes place, that sanctified place, that set-apart place, and he's turned over to the realm of Satan and his demons for, as Paul says, the destruction of his flesh with the intention that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. To be put out of the church is to be turned over to the realm in which Satan operates. To be put out of the church is to be put into the realm in which his flesh is destroyed, a realm in which he may be tormented or rubbed, if you will, by demonic forces, chafed against the proving stone. Those in union with Jesus Christ through faith are sealed by his spirit, preserved by his spirit. That doesn't mean that they won't have to endure persecution, Unleashed by the serpent's seed. The serpent's seed is persecuting the seed of the woman. And in that, we share in the sufferings of Christ. But it does mean that he will see us through it and that God will preserve us to the end. He will not lose anything of all that has been given to him, but rather will raise it up at the last day. So what are we to make then of John's description of these locusts? Verse 7 the shape of the locusts was like horse, were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. John says they were like horses, something like gold. He uses that word over again. They had hair like women's hairs. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. In other words, John's having dis- difficulty describing exactly what he's seeing. He's having difficulty describing exactly what he's seeing. They weren't actually breastplates of iron. It was something like, they were something like breastplates of iron. It wasn't actually a woman's hair. It was something like a woman's hair, do you see? But he's also, in, in picturing or in describing 
with the language that he has at his disposal, in describing the vision that's being given to him, he's relying on Old Testament language, what he knows of the Bible, what he knows of Scripture. He's relying on the Bible's language to help him describe what he's seeing. And he's relating what he currently sees now to what the prophets themselves saw before him. And he's, he's allowing his perspective on this vision, he's allowing his sight, if you will, to be regulated or to be governed by the word of God, which is what prophets in the Bible do. Rather than venturing off into speculative flights of fancy, like Nazis and Black Hawk helicopters, he's relying on Old Testament imagery. He's relying on what prophets have seen before him. He's relying on the Bible and the language of the Bible to help him understand what he's seeing and to record it. And where we see this language uh, most uh, clearly given to us is in Joel chapter 1. Turn with me there to Joel chapter 1. If you remember the context of Joel chapter 1, uh, I would argue for an early date of Joel. There are those who would try to claim a late date for Joel. Uh, Joel is likely writing before uh, both exiles, before the northern kingdoms are exiled to Assyria, uh, before the southern kingdom of Judah is exiled to Babylon. And Joel is likely here writing, there's a very compelling evidence that Joel is writing of an actual locust plague that is going to be sent upon the nation of, of Israel uh, as the judgment of God for their idolatry. But that locust plague, typological of invading armies that will come and take Israel captive, take Israel into exile. And if you think with me for a moment, the, in God's absolutely astounding wisdom and power, God has dictated those historical events to point us forward to what will come at the end of the age. And this particular, I think this particular locust plague that we see uh, in the cycle of trumpets. Uh, just an example of the great day of judgment that is eventually coming upon the whole earth. Joel chapter 1 verse 1. This is the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. In other words, this plague of locusts will take everything. Everything. There is nothing that is left. The context of Joel's prophecy is that of an invading army, if you will, that is devastating, absolutely devastating the idolatry, idolatrous nation of Israel under the judgment of God. Again, some debate whether this is an actual army of devouring locusts, leaving behind them uh, a wake of famine and starvation, or it's an army of enemy invaders like the Assyrians or like the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, devastating everything in their path. In either case, it's God in judgment behind this Egypt-like plague. As we've seen, both are actually in view both typological of the other, if you will, and of eventually uh, a day of the Lord involving his judgment. Now, turn the page to Joel chapter 2, and notice that this plague begins with the sound of a trumpet. The trumpet is an alarm, the judgment is about to fall. Verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, 
Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And that language, the day of the Lord, is thematic of judgment, God's judgment. We are those who live in this uh, time period between the first and second coming of the Lord, and we are awaiting, if you will, his return and the great day of his wrath, the great day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Do you see the theme and the use of that language? The use of that language is um, representative of, of present physical judgments being poured out against idolatrous Israel at this time, but that language also points us forward to an ultimate day of the Lord in which God will ultimately, fully, and finally judge those who dwell on the earth. For it is at hand, verse 2, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. That darkness, an indication of God's judgment. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Do you recognize that language? It is apocalyptic language. Verse 3, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance, here it is, is like the appearance of horses, like swift steeds, so they run, with a noise like chariots over mountains, on mountaintops they leap, like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Notice it's like a strong people set in battle array and not an actual people set in battle array. Do you see? Again, I think this is typological language of an actual locust, locust plague, uh, but that actual locust plague foreshadowing exile, foreshadowing invading armies. Before them, verse 6, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. People would wish for death and cannot find it. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. You see, notice the apocalyptic language. And again, that language is typological of the end. We'll see that uh, in reality at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gives voice before his army for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? This swarm, uh, this, these locusts, this horde, swamps and overwhelms its adversaries. Now, it's, again, highly likely that Joel is referring here to a plague of actual locusts. But the image, the image of this judgment unleashed by God is so severe that it calls to Joel's mind as it would call to the mind of any ancient Near East reader in Israel, it calls to mind an invading horde of a foreign army or a foreign enemy. It's typological of that judgment. The plague was like a devastating and powerful army of men, like the Assyrians under Sennacherib or like the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And here as well, this judgment indicated that the great day of the Lord's wrath had come a foreshadowing of his ultimate judgment poured out at the end of the age upon the wicked. And thinking about that with Joel as a reference point in the language of Joel, 
helping John describe his vision, we turn back to Revelation chapter 9, and John sees this invading horde of demonic tormentors symbolized by this locust-like plague, a devastating plague. Again, uh, a reference to the Exodus plague of locusts. He sees a devastating plague that certainly would have reminded him of that which was prophesied by Joel. And so he relies upon Joel's language to describe it. Verse 7, they were like a great invading army riding battle horses. They have faces, the faces of men with crowns of something like gold on their heads. In other words, these creatures are personal. They're personal. They have intelligence, human faces, suggesting that they have their ability to reason. Crowns, suggesting they have something uh, like some kind of authority, an assumed authority. In this case, uh, an authority to torment or the pseudo-authority to have sway over the wicked for the time period that they've been given. Verse 8, they have women's hair. Teeth, like a lion's teeth, possibly pointing to the reality that they are both seductive and ferocious. Verse 9, their thorax was like an iron plate. They were impenetrable. You couldn't kill them, as it were. The sound of their advance was deafening. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. That was said in actuality of an actual locust plague that a swarm of actual locusts could be heard from more than six miles away. The sound of that swarm, so deafening, the sound of a, a locust swarm. Now, as with Joel, the misery that is left in the wake of this locust plague is the judgment that God intends through it. The misery that was left in the wake of an actual locust plague was famine, was starvation. But in this case... Again, behind the plague of Satan and this this demonic horde would not be an actual physical famine, but a spiritual famine, a famine of the soul, a famine of God's word. Actual famine is a judgment upon the earth poured out under the first four horsemen. Actual famine is a judgment poured out under the first four trumpets. But here we see an intensifying of judgment, not merely pouring out that judgment upon the earth itself, but now pouring out these woes upon the earth dwellers themselves, upon men themselves. And the result is a famine of the soul. The result is ignorance, confusion, distress, darkness, deception, anguish of heart, that torment, if you will, that rubbing against the proving stone, that hurt referenced in verse 5, as we've seen, and again in verse 10, by the sting of a scorpion. Verse 10, they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. There's a toxin that's being spread among the earth dwellers. And again, five months symbolic of an incomplete amount of time or an incomplete and partial torment, meaning that more woes are coming. Uh, What the chewing locust failed to get, the consuming locust will. So the sting or the hurt that these demons cause should be thought of spiritually as well. These are uh, symbols of spiritual realities. There are certain physical judgments that are poured out leading ultimately to death. We see those under the bowls and trumpets and the, the seals. But it appears from the context here that what the Lord intends is a torment that is associated with the darkness and hardness of their hearts and minds. The word hurt in verse 10, it's an interesting word. It refers to violations of the law. 
Now, the, the scorpions have a sting in their tail, and those scorpions are uh, given authority to hurt men for five months, but that word for hurt refers to violations of the law. It refers to doing them wrong, so to speak. It involves, it would seem, from the use of that word and from the grammar, it would involve acting in unrighteousness or acting in unjust ways to their own and to others' harm. But you think about what we're going through even now. Those who would decry uh, or proclaim their own justice are the ones who are fomenting injustice. Those who would proclaim their own righteousness, fomenting unrighteousness. Uh, hurt. Violations of the law, unrighteousness, injustice. Our age is marked by this hurt that verse 10 alludes to, this hurt, this power that was in their tails, in their sting. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, there's a, a really powerful allusion to this because of men's idolatry. Paul says, because of men's idolatry, they became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness, gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, to hurt one another with uncleanness, with unrighteousness, with injustice. God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them over to debased mind. Their consciences accused them, Romans 2.15. And the Lord warns Israel that they're going to face these judgments if they turn away from them. The Lord has warned Israel that if they turn away from the Lord, it's these very judgments that will come upon them. Uh, this hurt described by verse 10. He compares this judgment to that which he poured out on Egypt. And the Lord refers to those judgments, um, not only to in physical terms, but he refers to those judgments in mental, emotional, or spiritual terms. Look quickly with me at Deuteronomy 28. I want to give you an example of this. So what we're, we're attesting to here is this demonic horde, Satan and his demonic forces, uh, having, having held this world system under their sway, are wreaking havoc, devastating those who dwell on the earth, devastating this world system with a spiritual torment that is uh, heaping unrighteousness and injustice upon those who dwell on the earth, and frankly causing deception, causing madness, uh, causing... Um, a spiritual darkness causing deception. Deuteronomy chapter 28, drop down to verse 25. And again, the Lord explaining the judgments that will come upon Israel for their idolatry. He says this, verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways from before them. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. No one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, with the itch, from which you cannot be healed. And the Lord will strike you, here it is, with madness and with blindness and with confusion of heart. Now notice at the outset how God compares their judgment, the judgment upon Israel, with the judgments that were poured out against Egypt. Right? The judgments of Egypt, typological of God's judgments upon the wicked. 
God's judgment of idolaters, God's judgment of those who persecute his people. Uh, these are typological of God's judgment against the earth dwellers. And we see him here using this very same language, the language of those judgments poured out on Egypt to describe the judgments that would be poured out on Israel herself for her idolatry. And he says in verse 28 that he's going to strike them with madness, with blindness, and with confusion of heart. Verse 29, you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways. What does that remind you of? Reminds you of those men groping for the door, doesn't it? In Sodom, trying to, to give free reign to their abject wickedness. It describes those who groped for the door at midday trying to get to the, uh, the man who gave him their, her, his concubine instead. They killed on the front porch of his house, right, in the tribe of Dan. And God pours out his judgment. Verse 33, a nation whom you've not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor. You shall, only be, uh, you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. Verse 38, you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the, of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. Verse 52, men will be driven to eat their children because of distress. Women will be driven to eat their children because of the severity of the famine. Verse 58, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues. I would suggest to you the, the use of that word extraordinary uh, from the word of God, describing uh, the plagues that he himself will pour out, that's a terrifying word. <laughs> that's a terrifying thought. God himself calls, calls these plagues extraordinary. Great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness, every plague, which is not written in the book of the law, will the will Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. Verse 64, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. There you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations, you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear with which uh, the Lord terrifies your heart because of the sight which your eyes see. The prophet Jeremiah testifies against Judah. Chapter eight, verse 14, listen. The Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of health and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, the Lord says, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. 
There's the Lord's symbolic language there of judgment. Back in Revelation 9, the name of the fallen angel that is given charge over this demonic horde of scorpions is known in Hebrew as Abaddon. That Hebrew word means destroyer. And he's known in Greek as Apollyon. And that Greek word means destroyer. This is the destroyer. Verse 11. They had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27 says, The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. (laughs) These locusts have a king. Locusts have no king in the natural or in the physical world, but these demonic locusts have a king. He is the destroyer, the destroying one, which is another reference to Satan himself. He is the destroyer. He is at work among those who dwell upon the earth to destroy them, to deliver them to destruction. He is at work among those who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. He is at work seeking whom he may devour. Do you see? working for their ultimate destruction. The fact that he's given only five months to torment them in this particular way means that this is but a part of the judgments that are going to befall them. Each of those judgments are part of the process that eventually leads them to hell. What is the the message? There is a sense at which we, when we get to these intensified woes at the end of, of the cycle of trumpets, And as then we see this whole thing repeated, as it were, recapitulated in the cycle of of the bowl judgments, there is a sense at which these woes are becoming more and more severe against those who dwell upon the earth. And there's a progression, a linear progression, if you will, uh, to those woes, to those judgments that will eventually lead them to hell. And the inference from that intensification and that linear progression is that like in Egypt, like with Pharaoh, did Pharaoh let the people go? No, not until the 10th plague was fully poured out, the death of the firstborn, and then Pharaoh and his entire army destroyed in the Red Sea. So the, the inference from these intensified woes is that they're not ultimately intended to bring about the repentance of those who dwell upon the earth. As we'll see, working more and more through the text of the the letter, those who dwell upon the earth only harden their hearts in the face of these judgments. And they further blaspheme God. Will there be those who will turn at God's reproof? Yes, by by the grace of God, entirely by the grace of God. But these judgments uh, aren't ultimately meant to bring about repentance. These judgments are meant to cast down the wicked. These judgments are meant by God to um, destroy those who've persecuted his people and those who have made idols, worshiped idols. Um, It is to destroy the wicked from the face of the earth. What is the lesson then for us, for those who live during this age? One, preach the gospel. We have the everlasting gospel of grace, gospel of peace to preach to those who dwell upon the earth. And God at this time is gathering together his elect from the four corners of the earth. This is a time uh, at which God is saving his elect for the sake of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, 
while it is day, we are to work. The night is coming when no one may work. So while it is day, we should work the works of him who sent us. While it is day, we should preach the gospel. We should see that uh, those who um, dwell on the earth turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. They cling to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. They've been sealed on their, on their forehead by the living God and preserved to the end. Those of us, brothers and sisters, who are preserved by faith, by the Lord Jesus Christ, preserved by God to the end, Hades, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Right? There is no sting in death. There is no sting in these judgments. The Lord preserves us. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. John then reminds us, verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And all those, although the judgments, if, if you think with me, and again, remember what we're dealing with here with these, these cycles, the judgment themselves, the judgments themselves are not chronological. They're not poured out in history. They're not poured out in time, one and then the other, and then the other, and then the other. They're poured out uh, during this entire period. They're poured out on the earth. Each generation faces uh, this demonic horde that has been released upon the earth. Satan has already been cast to the earth. These judgments themselves are not chronological, but the sequence of the visions given to John, excuse me, the sequence of those visions given to John are sequential. So the presentation of the first vision of woe has passed. Behold, two more visions of woe will be presented after this one. And we'll consider uh, those texts in the weeks to come. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for... Uh, opening our eyes, Lord, to how things really are. Our Lord Jesus Christ, seated upon the throne, ruling and reigning, sovereign over all things whatsoever that come to pass, executing his decrees upon the earth in full control, saving those who have been given to him by you, our gracious heavenly father, decreed, written, their names written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, and them being gathered to him, not a one of them shall be lost. And at the same time, Lord, your wrath currently, presently being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness of men. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to the realities of these things, opening our eyes, as it were, to those principalities and powers that lie behind the, the, the wickedness of this world system. And thank you, Lord, for preparing us, for preparing our hearts, for helping us to understand and for, Lord, uh, being uh, patient with us and compassionate to us, preserving us, having sealed us by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for uh, causing us to endure. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you've given us that you will preserve us to the end, that we will overcome, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray, Lord, during this time that you preserve us, that you would preserve us with a gospel of peace on our lips that we would be as lights in a dark place, that we would proclaim your word to those who dwell upon the earth, that many, Lord, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, that many would turn from their sin, would turn from their rebellion, would turn from their persecution, would turn from their idolatry to trust Jesus Christ alone, that you would save them, that they would become trophies of your grace and part of that innumerable host worshiping around the throne of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that the, uh, for the provision that you've made for sin and the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.
Hello, and thanks for listening. My name is Mark Brashear, and I have the blessed privilege of serving with the Saints at Cornerstone Church near Orlando, Florida. We're so grateful that you've connected with us through the sermon that you've just heard. For more information, visit us at cornerstoneorlando.org. Or better yet, come and see us on the Lord's Day at 3370 Snow Hill Road in Oviedo, Florida. We're just east of Orlando and about 15 minutes from the campus at UCF. It would be a joy to have you worship with us.